We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everyone, to an, another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I'm Vince D'Addario. I'm the football <laughs> analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. That guy right there is Brian Driscoll. He's the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. And we have a multitude of things to mm-hmm. get to. Let's start with our newsworthy item. The uh, yeah. invitations for the Combine came mm-hmm. out. And, Brian, take it away. Yeah, there, so five Notre Dame players were given invites to the Combine. Kevin Austin was invited. Jack Cohn. Myron Tungavaloa, and no surprise, Kyle Hamilton and Cotton Wood, Kyron Williams. I think we expected Williams and Hamilton. I thought my thing was, what would, how about the other guys? Would we see Heinish? Would we see MTA? You know, would we see Kevin Austin, who desperately needed to be at the combine? Would we see Jack Cohn? Would we see Drew White? You know, some of those guys got invites, some didn't. Kane Madden is, wasn't invited. Drew White wasn't invited. Kurt Heinish wasn't invited, which surprised me a little bit that Kurt yeah. Heinish wasn't invited. Me too. That one does. But, uh, you know, he'll get his chance at the pro day to work out. But, um, you know, obviously five, that's a good group. And there's a lot to prove. And, and we'll have a show. Ryan and I will have a show on this here soon where we'll kind of break it down. Just kind of what each guy has to prove. Ryan's actually working on an article now for IrishBreakdown.com. Just kind of going over, you know, sort of what each guy has to prove and how much the combine can help or hurt some of these guys. And I yeah. I think the combine is going to be huge for all those guys. I, I mean, you know, Jack Cohn had a really nice Shrine Bowl performance. If he can follow that up with a good combine performance during the throwing sessions and the movement sessions, you know, Kevin Austin has to have a big combine. You know, I and look, I've seen mock drafts with Kyron Williams going as low as the third and fourth round. He's got to have a strong combine performance. I don't know what it is that that makes these people see that, and I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in that as if Kyron's like stock is falling because I don't know what NFL teams think. This is just. You know, guys that do this for right. a living on, on, you know, on, on Twitter and different things like that. So, no disrespect, because I was, I mean, I'm, I'm reading it, so clearly I, I have some interest in it. And the, the guys that I read were guys that you know are known people. It's not like some, you know, Jimmy Smith, some random guy I've never heard of. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say Jimmy Smith. There's say- like multiple Jimmy Smiths in the yeah. NFL, but you know, some, some guy with some random guy that that no one should be paying attention to. Right. So at, at least look, at least there's some areas out there where Kyron Williams isn't the potential late first, early second round pick we thought he might be. I saw like four or five different running backs going ahead of him. I think part of that is the senior bowl um, hangover that people have, which kind of drives me nuts 
you know, like they'll say this senior bowl, this guy, at the senior bowl played way better. He's going to go against some other person higher than this other person. Well, you didn't see that other person, at the senior bowl. So, you know, you're, you're, you're arguing like this person did well, this person did nothing because they were junior, that kind of thing. So, right. You know, I, but I think we've always felt that Kyron needed a strong combine performance to solidify his spot amongst the top two or three running backs in this draft. So it's going to be interesting. So we'll have a nice long show. We'll we'll go through each one of those five. We'll do a similar thing for the pro day. Notre Dame's pro day is most likely going to be at the end of March, from what I'm told. They haven't solidified it for sure, but most likely the end of March. And we'll have another. We'll have previews for that. So we'll we'll definitely have some drafts. But that's a nice thing about hiring Ryan, is not only is he crushing it in recruiting and and doing a great job, and it's only going to get better there, but. You know, he he's a guy that I that I took from the draft world. So this time of right. year, you know, it's like he's like a kid in a candy store. You know, he's like putting it on a tee, looking at recruiting film. He's doing draft stuff. It's you know, he he's got to be a happy dude. So we'll have we'll have some draft stuff on the podcast coming up. And I'd be a fool not to take advantage of Ryan's you know draft knowledge and just say, hey, nope, you're the recruiting guy now. You know, so <laughs> we're, we're going to take advantage of both. That's right. There's, there's no doubt about it. So I, I look forward to those shows. So. um yeah, so that that Vince, that's the again, that's the the combine stuff that came out today. I thought that was newsworthy. Absolutely, you know, we weren't going to originally talk about this, but I was getting ready to hop in the shower and get ready for the show, and I was like, "Oh, combine! Let's mention mm-hmm. that because yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see those guys work out." And we've seen a lot of Notre Dame guys, a lot of Notre Dame receivers, especially, have kind of been you know surprises at the combine, and I'm really curious to see what Kevin Austin's going to be able to do. Yeah, because I think his stock needs to go up. I it's mean, it's dependent on the com, on the pro on the hundred percent. I mean, the, he's the he's banking on a good combine, a good pro day, to really raise his stock because it's not very high right now. And and it wasn't. I mean, look, you and I both said he needed to come back to raise his stock, mm-hmm. and but so he's he's betting on the combine and the pro day to raise his stock. So mm-hmm. he really needs a good pro day. So we'll we'll right. uh, and combine for that matter. So we'll right. see. I'm actually looking forward to hearing you guys talk about yeah. that kind of stuff. Me too. I, think, I think it's very, I think it's very, very interesting yeah. to see where these guys fall. And then who also didn't get an invite too. Right. Which doesn't mean they're not going to get drafted or no, you know, not I mean, at all. They'll get their pro day mm-hmm. opportunity. But look, the the my understanding is the combine choices come from, you know, suggestions from the league, you know, sure. the teams around the league. So you know, the fact that of the I think it's 334, Kurt Heinish wasn't part of it. Was a little surprising to me, yeah. to be completely honest with you. Yeah, that's the it one really that was. I think surprises me the most. I think maybe it has to do a little bit with his size. Maybe that's Perhaps. part of it. And his position. I mean? yeah. yeah. Yeah, but again, he'll have an opportunity at the Notre Dame Pro Day mm-hmm. for sure. And, the you know, the last, I don't know, five to ten Pro Days, pretty much every NFL team has been represented. So, I mean, he'll yeah. have his opportunity for yeah. sure. It just won't be on the it, Yeah, it, it'll depend, too, on does Kyle, does Kyle Hamilton work out of the Pro Day. That's the good point. If Kyle Hamilton's going to work out of the pro day, that's going to help Kurt Heinish and Kyron Williams and Kevin Austin and Drew White right, and right. you know all those guys. If he doesn't work out at the pro day, they're they're because there just aren't a lot of you know other. Kyron could be the interesting one, but there's a lot of teams not in need of a running back that aren't going to necessarily, you know, really be there. Because if you look at the last few drafts, there's been you know high level guys at the pro days. You know Jeremiah right. Wusukoromoa, sure. Liam Eikenberg. Robert Hainsey last year, you know, the year before that, I mean, there was, you had Chase Claypool and, you know, Cole Komet, you know, that we're going to do some different things. You had, I mean, it's just, there's been 
guys each year. 2019, when it was Julian Love, Dexter when, Williams, you know. I mean, when it was, you know, McGlinty yeah. and, and yeah. uh, oh, Nelson. That was, that that was, was like the best unreal. pro day ever. Like, yeah. watching those guys battle with I mean, each other. Like, that was so much yeah. fun. And you had so many NFL teams. I mean, oh. that was, to me, by far the most NFL teams we've seen. It that was fun. Like, that – Yeah. Pro days are boring, frankly. Yeah. Um, And that one had – some juice to it i'll just say that like i mm-hmm. i enjoyed that one you know what i mean yeah. so that one was yeah. a lot of fun we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so we got some more stuff we want to talk about today, Vince, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about tight ends for a little bit, and then we're gonna spend some time talking about the importance of the relationship between Harry Heastan and Blake Fisher. And this is not a this is not a concern thing just more of an analysis thing as we prep for you know this thing to really take off right so that's really where it comes from but Vince I want to start with tight ends obviously and we we talked a lot the other day about George Takis leaving uh I know that you weren't part of the show like visually but um have you recovered have you gotten through your morning period with George Takis being gone I know that's your boy him and Cam Hart those are your boys those are my guys and I tell you what I and we talked about this when he announced originally that he was going to stick around, right? I love the guy. And and one of the things that if he ever asked my opinion, which he never would, but if he ever asked my opinion, um, if he came to one of the unsanctioned, you know, George Takis fan club meetings and he asked me, I, I would tell him, look, you need to go. You know what I mean? Like if you Is wanna... this one of those, if you love something enough, you let it go. Right. <laughs> It's not you, it's me. No. Um, I would have I would have I would have told him, like, look, if you want to play it in the NFL, which I assume right. that he does, your best option is to go play somebody, go be the number yeah, one. Because he's tight gotten end. the benefits of being a tight end you for four years. Absolutely. Case maybe, right? Like no now question. it's about getting production. And he's got his degree, yeah. he's got all of that done, right? Yeah. And I think this is a case where as a graduate transfer. I mean, obviously, everybody can play right away. But as a graduate mm-hmm. transfer, you go to where what is going to help you well, to the next level. And but why that matters, though, Vince, is because graduate transfers don't really have to do anything with classes. That's fair. I mean, true. some of the guys that are coming back this year have said that. Like, look, I'm not I'm not grinding 
all semester to get my master's, right? right. Like I'm they're just I'm, taking enough classes to be considered because because a lot of these guys have already graduated in three and a half years. So they've already right. taken a bunch of their master's classes. So like they're True. kind of in their you know last little portion. So they're like, look, I'm focused. Like Bo Bauer mentioned this in the, the recently, like, hey, look, I'm I'm looking to get a chance to just play football, right? And just focus right. on football. And that's the thing with George is, you know, you look, you're wherever you're going, you're going there for two semesters. Yep. Right. And yeah, if you can get a master's, that's great. But you know, you're, you're, this is your audition for the NFL. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And he's gets to, he's right. going to get an opportunity wherever he goes, whether that's LSU right. or we, I think you guys talked about Boston college. I've seen other things out there, but he's going to get a opp- college one makes a lot of sense it to me. Kind of does. Not that's- just because of McNulty. I mean, forget the McNulty aspect of it. That's obviously a position coach he's had for a couple of years. I don't even think that's the biggest attraction to me. I think it's, that's the quarterback he came in with. Right. Yep. That's the guy he was spent two years with on the scout team. Absolutely. You know, connecting with and, and all that. And he knows what Phil can do. And and Phil's a Phil's a guy that's proven the last two years. He loves throwing to tight ends. Right. Right. Yep. When he's been healthy the last two years, he loves throwing to tight ends. So, you know, I mean, goodness, I, I that that makes a ton of sense. I mean, absolutely. Where's the one place you could go where he knows what he's getting a quarterback? Yep. That- and and it's a very look, it's a similar atmosphere to Notre Dame as well. I mean, if he really enjoyed Notre Dame as that as Notre Dame, right? Going to Boston College is it's very similar. I mean, mm-hmm. let's let's be honest. So there's a lot of bonuses, a lot of pluses to go to Boston mm-hmm. College. And I would have no problem if he did that. And, and frankly, I'm happy for George. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think this is a great decision. I think he made I think he he made a hasty decision to begin with. And I was confused by it. I was excited because I like the guy I like having mm-hmm. him on the team that I root for and a cover. But at the same time, I think this is the best decision for George Takis to move his game to the next level and to get people to think of him more than what he is right now. Like, we see what he can do, but it's such small little snippets, and it's very obvious that he probably was going to be in the exact same role moving forward. So I'm really happy for him. I think he made the right choice, and I'm going to continue to follow his career and see where he's at, you know what I mean, how he's doing and all of that. I I, I will always be a George Tagus fan. I'll always be rooting for him to be successful, even if he goes to LSU. Yeah. Which I would love it if he's, if he's not, you know, <laughs> I would too. Yeah. I believe I am firmly in the Boston college, uh, yeah. you know, side of things. I would, I think that's a great fit. Just like, I mean, you just outlined it, but um, I, I want whatever he thinks is best for himself and whatever he thinks is going to get him to where he wants to be. And, and that's the mm-hmm. most important thing. So I I'm super right. excited for him and what he, what is in his future. I, I felt like, you know, we weren't going to talk about Takis today, but I was like, how can I not let Vince? I appreciate know, that. I, I was jumping his, at the bit, sitting yeah. in the background, listening to you yeah. guys talk, and I was upset, but barely happy. I got to let him. the president of the George Takis <laughs> fan club have some public words. <laughs> Self-proclaimed. About George, so. Yeah. So Notre Dame will have six tight ends on the roster next year, which is still a lot, it but is. a much healthier number when you consider, normally I would say five is the ideal number. But because four of them are going to be either true freshmen or sophomores slash redshirt freshmen, and two guys are coming back from ACL injuries, I like the six for this class, especially since one of them is gone after this season. I mean, look, let's be real. Barring a catastrophe, no one should hope that Michael Mayer's on the team in 2023. No one. Absolutely. Because if Michael Mayer's on the team in 2023, something really bad happened to him or the team in 2022. Absolutely. And that would be bad. That would be he has some devastating injury that, you know, his draft stock plummets and he's got to come back and prove himself. 
I do not want Michael Mayer on the team in 2023, right? Because yeah. that again, there's no good scenario, in my opinion, that causes him to come back in 2023. And you say, well, he get a chance to compete for championships. Look, when it comes to that decision, your priority needs to be what's best for you. And he's right. Um, and then so then if he comes back for 2023, then he's got to possibly complete compete with like Brock Bowers and some other tight ends for the higher draft. I think next year is is the is the year that 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 makes sense for him. So it's also good to have the additional tight ends because everybody behind him is going to have eligibility beyond 2022. So right. I do it, the injuries plus mayor being gone. I think six is a much healthier number for Notre Dame. They are now at 85 scholarships of, of based on what we know publicly. They've got room. They're going to need to you know lose a couple more guys. I think they will lose a couple more guys post spring most likely. And there's always some kid that does something dumb and gets kicked out, right? <laughs> that that'll that, probably happen. That will probably happen. Yeah, and uh, you know I, we're talking about kids here. I got one guy in mind, but we'll we'll see how that how that. I know, I know out. you do. But, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so so if they want to add transfers, there needs to be another guy or something like that. So, you know when 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 we get to when we get to the spring, you're not going to see the full group of tight ends there, right? You're not going to see Kane Barong, who is going to, you know, who's going to be a guy that is probably still coming back from his knee injury. Obviously, we won't see Eli Raritan and because he's, he's not an early role. And he's an yeah, right? right. that too. But right. he yeah. tore, tore his knee up, right? Right. And so, you know, you, you look at it, Vince, and it's a situation where this is this is, you know, Takis being gone presents a really unique scenario for the rest of the tight ends. Mm-hmm. And the tight ends coach, because you have a new tight ends coach now. He's got to learn the personnel. I'm ki- If I'm him, I'm kind of like, okay, I'd like to have my full allotment this spring, but with a couple guys out, I get to focus on these two, and then I can focus more on this guy during the summer, whatever the case may be. Right. Uh, but you know, when you when you look at the tight ends coach, we believe it's going to be Jared Parker. I don't. It hasn't obviously been officially made known, but every expectation that we have is it's going to be him it's no different in the he stand and all these other things where it's like what are we waiting on like just it's Notre Dame being Notre Dame <laughs> right, right? Like, I don't I don't see any issues but you're you're going into a situation Vince where you know you're you're not going to have your full allotment of guys you're gonna have what three right? healthy scholarship tight ends does that sound right three yeah mayor Bauman and Mitchell Evans and Mitchell Evans right yeah. Holden Stasis isn't an early enrollee either right so you're not going to have the two freshmen. Kane Barong's going to probably be moving around, but he's not going to be he's not going to be all in. Practice. Like it won't right. it won't be a full go situation. He might you might see him doing some drill work right. or things like that, but you're not going to see him in full contact. I wouldn't imagine. Right. I think I would be shocked if that was the case. So, you know, Kevin Bauman's been a bit of a tough luck kid the last couple of years. Injuries, being behind Michael Mayer, you know, his freshman year he's got Mayer Tremble, Brock Wright, Takis, all ahead of them. Right. I'll bet you 20 bucks at all four of them. All four of those guys are going to be an, on an NFL roster in 2023. I think that's right? a safe bet. Yep. And then in 2024, no, in uh, let me see. No, in 2023, all five of the guys ahead of him will be on NFL. No, no, no. In 2024, yeah, Takis and Mayer, both out this year. So in 2023, all five of the guys that were above him his first year at Notre Dame are going right. to be on an NFL roster because Mayer. I keep forgetting about Mayer, and and like when he's going to come out. So he he would start in twenty twenty three. 
Yes. So yeah, there's not a lot of places you can go where literally every single dude ahead of you when you arrived is going to be, be in the NFL. In the yeah. NFL, right? Crazy. Uh, that, which is kind of nuts. And and, and so that tells you where Notre Dame. Like, right. There's been that debate about who's tight end right. you. Right. I don't think it's a debate, but well, it's to me Iowa. If we're talking recent history, I mean Iowa had two first round picks on the same team. True. Right. I mean recently. You know, and they've had George Kittle. I mean, I, Iowa can absolutely lay claim to it. People talk about Miami being tight in you. If we're talking about the last 30 years, maybe, last 40 years, maybe. But even then, if you really want to go back that far, don't talk to me about tight ends because I can start pointing to you about the early 1990s at Notre Dame when, you know, Oscar McBride, who played several years in the NFL, was like Notre Dame's fourth tight end, right? right you know, right. Irv Smith exactly. was number three at one point in time, right? First-round draft pick. So, uh, you know, I, but t- in recent last 10 years – Iowa's the t- only team that to me that can compete. And I think the advantage that Iowa has is some of their tight ends have gone on to be better in the pros than Notre Dame's guys because of injuries. You know, I mean, I, I still believe Tyler Eifert had like one healthy year yeah. in the NFL and he caught 10 plus touchdowns and was in the Pro Bowl, right? I mean, that's it. I mean, injuries really kept him, but you know, Kyle Rudolph had a good career, but you know, Iowa's had some really, really good tight ends in recent years. So so, but point point being, yeah, right. Sorry, that's kind of what happens when you're at a place that's recruited tight end as well as Notre Dame has the last, you right. know, five six years. And you look at Bauman; it's like he's kind of walking into a perfect opportunity because two things: number one, with the lower numbers, you're not going to want to go out and and you're not going to want to wear out Michael Mayer in the spring. Completely agree. Right. I don't even – I mean, yeah, he's going to get rest. That's where Dude, Notre Dame's in a really interesting situation yeah. this spring. Yeah. They're going to be very low on numbers at receiver and very low at numbers at tight end. Right. So you're going to see walk-ons getting reps. Yeah. Right? Notre Dame's sure. got multiple tight ends walk-ons, multiple receiver walk-ons. I mean, right. you're going to see – like at receiver, you're going to see Connor Radigan get a chance to play this spring. I mean, he's sure. going to get reps, Right. And, and, you know, Vince, you've told me this. Connor Radigan was a really good high school football player, correct? Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. He's a kid that if you and I were coaching at, you know, University of Indianapolis or Butler or something like that, we're recruiting the heck out of that kid. Absolutely. You know what he's I mean? A, I mean, I think he, he wants to be a doctor like his dad. Right. Like, if, he, I mean, if, 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 if I was able to recruit him to a D3 school, he'd have been a like a star. I mean, he it's a good football player, right? He, no question. It's not necessarily a guy going to go out. And go it's, ahead. I was going to say, it's funny because we, we talked to his dad a lot on another show that I do for mm-hmm. pregame. And he, one of the shows, he's like, yeah, Connor's really hot because he's not getting enough playing time. Like right. he has drive and he right. wants to play. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah, he didn't yeah. just come here to go to school. Right. right. Exactly. You know, and, and so he's going to get that chance in the spring. Matt yeah. Salerno is going to get that chance. It's not ideal for the entire team building, but there's going to be some guys that get the chance. Then when you look at tight end, it's going to be a similar thing. But the one guy to me that's going to get the biggest advantage from this spring is Kevin Bauman. And so you look at the the opportunities that are presented at, at, at tight end, but there's also some challenges at tight end, right? Sure. And and so Kevin Bauman walks into the situation of, hey, what's your role going to be at tight end? You know, like you're in competition for that number two spot now. You know, behind Michael Mayer, absolutely, it's an open it's an open battle now. Absolutely. Like it went from. You're going to have to beat out George, which wouldn't be easy to – it's an open spot. I think right? it's and wide open. The number two tight end at Notre Dame is basically a starting – you're going to get starting caliber snaps. Yes. I mean, George Takis had over 400 snaps last year. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, you're going to play a lot of football. Now, you may not get the ball a ton. Which is why so, George is leaving. I mean, right? like, that, uh, yes. 
right? Agree. If Notre Dame's number two tight end was catching as many passes as Iowa's number two tight end did in 2000, what was it, 18, right? When they had two guys go in the top 10, it'd be a little bit of a different story, right? But that's just the reality of it. it it's not a complaint or it's just, we're just stating it's, facts here. What right? it is. Yes. And then you look at the year before, you know, Michael Mayer played 564 snaps. Tommy Tremble played 472 and Brock Wright played 345 in only 12 games. Right. You know, you know, you, you same. it's just, and it's the same story in 2019, right? I mean, Cole Komet played over 700 snaps. Tommy Tremble played over 300 snaps and, and uh, Brock Wright played 148 snaps and he missed two games. Right. And George Takis played 50 snaps. So, you're the number two, number three tight end. You're going to get a lot of playing time, especially the number two tight end. Right. Well, now Kevin Bauman gets a chance to step into that role this spring and battle Mitchell Evans. Right. So for Kevin Bauman, you're, he seems to finally be healthy. He's been banged up a lot. He's got to stay healthy. He cannot afford to miss time this spring. So he's got to come out and, and number one, prove that he can block. That's going to be the biggest thing about this battle is if – is if if Kevin Bauman's a pass catcher first and a blocker second, he's not going to play a ton, right? Because that, Mitchell that, Evans yeah. is going to is yep. being groomed to be a blocker. Now Mitchell was not a great blocker as a freshman, but he tried hard. He wasn't, and they, in my opinion, and you and I have talked about this during the season. I feel like they put him in position almost to fail, and I don't I don't mean that in a well, negative they were, way. They were sort of forced to, right? He just they wasn't. Him, I would say they put him in position to fail. They put him in a really tough spot. Yeah, he just wasn't. Or you had to, you had to man up. Right. I mean, and the thing about Mitchell is, let's keep in mind, and this is partly why they started putting Joe Walt at tight end. Let's let's right. be honest. I mean, good point. Mitchell may not play as much down the stretch if Joe Walt, if there's not the injuries at tackle, if Blake Fisher doesn't get hurt, we may not have seen a lot of Mitchell Evans. You know, because we just still seen Joe Walt being that that blocking tight end. Because they knew they had to get Joe Walt on the field, and they were trying to figure out a creative way to and do it. And it's not like you're running that guy on a pass route. The number three tight end because <laughs> they not don't a pass route exactly. So you know, there's no need to get too cute with it. So Mitchell Evans steps into the fold, and I think it's one of those things where he got his butt whooped a little bit this year, but it's yeah. going to benefit him exactly because it, it's like a short term loss for a long term gain. Right, is the exactly. way we look at it. I, the kid was a flipping yeah. quarterback as a senior right. in high school. Now he played some receiver and tight end as a junior, but he was a some pass catching guy, you know. And and there aren't a lot of quarterbacks that can come in as freshmen and move to tight end and and be used as blockers. So he battled. It's just now it's like this offseason for him is about weight room. But for Kevin Bauman, you've got to establish yourself as a top blocker. You, If if he can somehow sort of say, hey, I can, because of my body, my my stature, Kevin's not like a 6'5", long, tall, you know, right. long torso guy. He's 6'3 and a half, 6'4". Right. Yeah, they got him listed at six four and a half on the spring. Yeah, locker. no, he doesn't look six right. four and a half I to me. Completely uh, agree. They have him listed at the exact same height as Michael Mayer, and he doesn't and know. nine pounds lighter. He he does not look like Michael Mayer. I agree. The, the point being, his build allows him to sort of do some of the leverage blocks, the the lead blocks, the kickout blocks that sure. Tommy Tremble did a lot of in two thousand nineteen or two thousand twenty. And so, can he fill that role? Or can he be the traditional number two tight end that can line up attached and block a nine technique or block down as part of kickouts that can work to the second level as part of his own combination? Like the fact is, is it'd be nice to see him out there catching the ball, but it, the reality is, is it, that's not what's getting you the number two tight end job. What's going to get you the number two tight end job is can you go block, right? And that's the, that's the reality. Now we could sit here all day 
and argue about whether or not that should be the the the, the primary role, but that's, that's a not, different conversation. That's for a different, different show. Day. That's a different. We're looking show. at what it is. Yeah. Right? right. And what it is, what it has been anyway. At least you know this is what it has been. It's been a you're going to block and maybe get targeted four or five times in a year. And right? and again, I think the empirical evidence that we have not only is what we've seen on the field, but the fact and I and I know I kind of said this before, but the fact that George Takis is leaving tells me that that's not changing anytime soon. You you stated in the last show that they tried to get him to stick around. If they wanted, and if if part of their pitch to get him to stick around was, look, the number two tight end is going to get, you're going to get targeted, you're going to get this, you're going to get Which that. They told him, and right, he, you know, he sees the writing on the wall. Like, right. Clearly, that's not going to happen. So we're going to operate on the premise that that second tight end, the way to get on the field as a second tight end, is to right. be a blocker, and that's just right. the reality that we live in right now. Right, and. They can tell them all they want that that's not going to be the case, but we all know it's you know it's going to be the case. It, I mean, yeah. Tommy Tremble in 2020, a guy that was a third round draft pick, got targeted 28 times the entire year. That's it. Right. That's it. And and if you think about it, a lot of those targets came in the first three games before they kind of fully handed the thing off to Michael Mayer. You know, because he remember he had he was targeted 13 times in the first three games. Right. Which right. means he was t- targeted fifteen times, only fifteen times the next, what was it, nine games, right? So the 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 proof is in the pudding. You can, and we've talked about this in recruiting. You can tell me all you want, what you're gonna do. What I can really evaluate you on is what you have done. Exactly. And I think that was the concern for for George, and that's that's the thing. It's like so you got to prove yourself as a blocker. Now, if you can prove yourself as a blocker. And secure that role, then go start making some plays and practice in the pass game. That's how you convince them to open things up. Right. Right. And that's that's the reality. So you got to do the blocking thing first, then you go out there and start making plays. And I think that the thing that makes this interesting is when I look at Kevin Bauman, here's the concern I have about him as the number two guy. Being like meaning number two is in he gets the kind of reps that George Tack has had. His game is very similar to Michael Mayer's, like what he does well. Sure is similar to Michael Mayer's. It's He's not on the level that Michael Mayer is. I'm talking about like how you use – better way to say it as opposed to his game is like how he is used within the offense is very similar to how you would use Michael Mayer. I think that's a better way of saying it so people don't – you're saying that Kevin Bauman's as good as Michael Mayer? No, I'm not saying that. Uh, so, so when I look at that, I say, okay, that to me even – that makes it a little bit concerning to me as far as having the pass game expanded. So then you get into, okay, well, if he's the number two tight end, then is there a number three that emerges that's got the unique skill set? Maybe, but that would be Kane Barong or Holden Stace or Eli Raritan, and those guys aren't going to be available till summer into fall. Right. Kane because he's injured, and then the other two because they're either in high school or in, or in Eli Raritan's case, both. He's in high school and he's and got injured. injury. Yeah. So this is a tremendous opportunity for Ken Bauman. And then if you're Mitchell Evans, the interesting thing about him is they actually like what he brings to the table in the pass game. Right. Because he's more of a vertical guy. He's like 6'7". He can run. He brings a little bit of a different – he he is more like Takis because Takis brought a different element than Mayer. You know, Takis is 6'6", and he can run. Yes. You know, and – and that's where we're like, hey, get him on the seams. And whenever they did film the ball, like in spring game and different things like that on deep drags and seam routes, I mean, George was able to get open. And we saw him get open a ton in practices before things got shut down in 2020. 
hit consistently catching the football was an issue for Georgia times, but the dude could run, he could get open. And I think that's what they see in Mitchell Evans as well. Right. He's a big athletic kid that could, cause see, that's the thing is I think there's a misnomer about Mitchell Evans that, that, and this was kind of to your point earlier, Vince is Mitchell Evans is, is, was used as a blocking tight end. And we see his size, you know, six, 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 you know, bigger kid. There's been talk of people talking about how he may eventually move to offensive line. I never understood that. Like he's going to go from quarterback to left tackle. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see that happening anytime soon. <laughs> what the staff liked about him is he was athletic. Exactly. I mean, he could, he could move. And, and so you used him as a freshman for things that you didn't necessarily recruit him to do. Right. So that kind of, to me, was a benefit to Mitchell and puts him in a position where if he can go out and make some of those vertical plays that I think they recruited him to do, that's where he's got a tremendous opportunity to, to battle Kevin Bauman for that role. And I, and I think there, there also is a possibility with everything that you just said, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it in my head about, okay, if I'm in Tommy Reese's shoes or, um, you know, how would I go about using the, the, the personnel that I have available to me. Right. And I think that there is a way and a very easy way, in my opinion, to use both of those guys as your number two, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you don't have to get, well, we, we got to get 400 reps to one guy. You know what I mean? Like you can, they have distinctly different strengths and attributes about them. You could use both You're talking about them. the two and the three, do, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, 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 and the same is true when you add Kane Barong to the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, Who has sure. even a more distinctly different mm-hmm. game than those Absolutely. Guys. Absolutely. I think they can be more creative with the use of their tight ends. Look, and everybody's harping on the 12 personnel and the 13 personnel. Again, it's not the personnel. It's what you do with that personnel. Right. And I think you can be very creative with this tight end room. I, you don't have to give all 400 snaps to one guy. You know, you don't have to marry yourself to that. Like, I don't think that's mm-hmm. the way it needs to be. I, I think you've got options here. And I, I think that's the exciting Yeah, and, and I think there's a misnomer about, I think Notre Dame's problem is is not 12 personnel. It's how they use 12 personnel. Right, right. So, and, and I've pointed this example. If you go back and watch the SEC title game between Alabama and Florida in 2020, if you go back and watch the Notre Dame-Alabama game, and I understand if you don't want to, that's why I'm trying to tell you to go watch the SEC title game. Alabama ran a lot of 12 personnel in 2020, a lot of 12 personnel. The difference is, is they would throw out of it a yeah. lot more. You know, Again, I, I haven't done an empirical study on this. It was more of an impression while watching the team play that they would throw more. Now, they didn't throw to their number two tight end a ton. They would have him pass block and have the other guy – you know, run, run routes and things like that. But, you know, they, they, they did a lot of 12 personnel and, and I mean, they came out against Florida in, in that SEC title game. And, and I mean, Mike Morris forced Miller Forrestall was their number one tight end that year. He played 628 snaps in 12 games. Jaleel Billingsley played over 300. That's a lot of 12 personnel. Right. And then major Tennyson and Cameron Luatow combined for 129 snaps as well as sort of in that third tight end role. And and so they use a lot, a lot of 12 personnel. They just use it where they use sort of the run tendencies to their advantage. I mean, this year, Alabama, Cameron Latou Latou had 672 snaps and Jaleel Billingsley had 479 snaps and Kendall Randolph, their number three tight end had 228 snaps. Those are Notre Dame type of numbers when it comes to 12 and 13 personnel. 
So this notion that, you know, oh, top teams don't do that. Yeah, they do. <laughs> the difference is yeah. they use it differently. And that's where I'm – and that's one of those things where I, I – this is 100% opinion. It's just a gut feeling that it this offense is going to look a lot different with Tommy Trumbull or Tommy Reese running the offense. Tommy Trumbull running the offense. <laughs> Tommy Reese running the offense. And the reason I say that is, is because even in the bowl game, we're still seeing like the, the, the establish what we've seen. The other thing too is, and I've talked to a few people about this, Vince, you and I saw this in practice. You know, George is really athletic, but consistently catching the football was not always a strength of his. Part he of me makes some highlight catches. And Tommy Tremble yeah. had the same problem. Yeah. Right. And so part of me wonders, like, did they not throw to the number two tight end as much under Tommy because they, they didn't trust in the, you know, the catching ability? Or is that just who they wanted to be? Right. I just have a feeling that we're going to see the number two tight ends be used a little bit more in the pass game this year. I hope so. And, and I think more importantly, we're going to see the pass game used out of 12 personnel more this year. And so it doesn't always have to be. So, like, I wrote an article the other day at Irish Breakdown, Vince, and it was about, you know, the neat, and I looked at the data. I mean, the the the, the opinion that you and I had, the impression that we had watching games, mm -hmm. statistically is proven to be true, which is Michael Mayer does not run the run, get targeted on balls beyond 10 yards nearly as much as other top tight ends. The data proved it to be true. It's not even close to what other top tight ends are. So, if you're going to do 12 personnel and you expand your play, which I think Tom Reese is going to the, the part of the game, I think is going to see a big jump this year, especially if, if Harry Heastan has the impact we think he's going to have. I think the play action game is going to take off from their name. It's going to be a much bigger part of the offense. You couldn't really use play action as much this year because nobody was afraid of you running the football. Exactly. No good teams were. Exactly. You can play action all you want. We know you're throwing the ball. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you can't run on us. Right. And so I think we're going to see that expand. But that's where 12 personnel can be effective because you're running two receivers out, and then, you know, you run Michael Mayer on some deeper routes, and then you've got your second tight end in pass pro. Right. You know, so even if you're just using the pass game more out of 12, it can help you even if maybe you're not doing it as much with the second tight end. But then also you can use Mayer as a decoy. You can have situations where you're gonna you're gonna max pro with Mayer staying in a couple times a game, not often, just because if they see Mayer blocking, they're thinking run. Right? Oh, they're definitely the safeties are coming downhill hundred miles yes. an hour, and you run and somebody right up got, the seam, baby. There you go. Yeah. Or, you know, and you got a post, you got a drag, deep drag with the other tight end and a post behind it. And, you know, I mean, that that's where you get some big plays. Bama did that stuff all the time. They were great with that. They would play action right at their tight end. That field safety would come flying down and they'd bring Devontae Smith on a climb route right behind it. Bam, big play. And you're like, how the heck did Devontae Smith get that wide open? Great play design. Exactly. That's what it was. They they schemed to get their guys open. I right. mean, that's and yeah. we saw a lot more of that the down the stretch from Tommy Reese. I agree. And that's why I feel like now that he gets a whole offseason where he doesn't have BK looking over shoulder, which we know and saying, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. I think we're gonna see that part of the game expanded. So maybe Notre Dame doesn't throw more drop back passes next year. If the RPO and the play action game get it, it nuanced. That to me is really the first two areas that I want to see the offense change next year. If they don't throw, if they still only throw maybe 15 dropbacks a game, I'm cool with that. You well, know, because yeah, 15 absolutely. dropbacks, you're going to have five to eight RPOs, you know, six to seven play actions, and all of a sudden you're at 30 attempts. 
Right. Right. And, and you don't want to really get past. And if you're throwing more than the 30, attempts, you're throwing yeah. more than that with the offense that we believe that they're going to be employing. It's not going well. Like the, the yeah, game, I don't think it's going. The way it means it means it's inefficient. Right. right. And, and that's the right. problem is you, you really don't want to be in a situation where you're 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 throwing more than 30 times a whole lot. I, I mean, I mean, you look at you look at Bryce Young last year. And that was a much more pass-heavy offense than what I think Notre Dame should be. Here's his attempts through the season, 38, 27, 35, 22, 26, 48, 28, 43, 37, 23, 40, 51, 44, 28, 57. And the 57 was in the title game, which they lost. Right. You know, uh, 51 was in the Auburn game, which was multiple overtimes, and they didn't play well. 40 was in the Arkansas game where they almost lost. I mean, you know, 48 was in the Texas A&M game that they lost. Right. When the offense was rolling. Exactly the point. They, yes. they were they were throwing fewer. They were throwing the ball less. When they blew out Ole Miss, he went 20 of 26. Right. When they blew up Mississippi State, 20 of 28. Right. LSU, the offense struggled. It was inefficient. He went 24 of 37, right? I mean, that's where we talk about where, you know, you want to see, you don't want to be more than 28 to, you know, 25 to 30, 32 attempts in a game. You want to be higher efficiency, meaning higher completion percentage. Right. And where does that come from? RPO, screen game, play action. Those are all much more high percentage throws than just drop back out of empty personnel. Empty, that stuff's a part of it too, right? You need to have those things. But being a pro-style spread offense means being a team that's going to still run the football and outside zone it and RPO it and play action it, and that's where I think Tommy Reese wants to be. But you couldn't really be a great play action team when nobody was afraid of your run game. And that, nobody good anyway was and afraid that, of your run game. Everything that you just said over the last 30 seconds, you need a run game. Right. You just Because you need to be balanced. Right. And, and again, I'm not going right. to go into what balance means. Because we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into times, that this summer. But you need to have the threat of a run game. Otherwise, it doesn't that all the rest of that stuff doesn't even matter. And that's why there are next conversation. That's where the tight end situation comes yeah. into play, though. If you have legitimate pass catching threats at tight end behind Michael Mayer, it gives Tommy Reese a lot of weapons. Yes. I just feel that we're going to see more of that in this season, especially if a couple players step up one guy to me, that's going to really be intriguing that we haven't talked about yet a lot is, is Kane Barong because he is the unicorn at the tight end position amongst the returners, meaning he can line up and, 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 and late in the year before his knee injury, he was starting to get a lot more practice reps with the ones as playing in that slot, playing in that wing, playing in that Tommy Trumbull role then he hurt his knee. He was about to start getting some playing time, and then he hurt his knee. Yeah. If he and and talking to you know people close to the situation, his rehab's gone great. Uh, he is ahead of schedule, which means he'll be back 100 by the summer. So I don't think we'll see much of him other than maybe going through some drills, yeah. maybe some running in the spring. Yeah. He won't be in any contact. Right. And that's why it's it. Look, if 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 Kevin Bauman and Mitchell Evans don't establish themselves in the spring. It's going to be really hard to hold off Kane Barong and the two younger tight ends because that is a really talented group of three young guys. I I think you know Kevin Bauman is, is this a big off season for him? If he doesn't make his move now, it's never going to happen for him. I agree because he'll get, he'll get buried again. He'll get buried quickly. Yeah, you know, and so that's why I say you know you talk about the opportunities. This is a I mean this could not have been an, a better opportunity for Kevin Bauman. Takis is gone. Barong's – please don't take this. 
he's not happy that Kane Barong is hurt. I guarantee you. That's not what I'm saying. It's just about the circumstances set up perfectly. You have for an opportunity. Him. It gives you an opportunity. Kane, yes. Kane Barong is, is injured. He's out in the spring. Right. The two freshmen aren't on campus. Takis is gone. Everybody already knows what Mayer can do. You're probably going to want to limit some of the workload on Mayer, which means great opportunity for you to get those reps. And, and you and Mitchell Evans both have golden opportunities to go out there this spring and establish yourselves as the number two or number three tight end before those other guys get in the mix. And I would not want to be the loser of that battle going into the summer. I, I wouldn't. Because now you've that number three guy has to contend with Kane Barong getting back and breathing down his neck. Holden Stace and Eli Raritan showing up and right. wanting to be ready to go. And, and you know, I think Eli Raritan probably won't be 100% by the time the season starts, but he's not going to be out all year. He hurt himself in December. I mean, it's like an eight, nine-month process, right, Vince? It's still where you're back on the mm-hmm. field and at least, you know, no more than eight, nine months now with an ACL. Yeah, but then you got it. But then and people were talking about, you know, he, he'll be back. You know, Eli Raritan's going to be back in time for the season. Well, that may be. But he still needs to get back in a football shape, and he need. I mean, well, he's going to need that, the reps to learn the offense. Yeah, I mean, part I mean, of the eight nine months to me is getting back to hundred percent health. Okay, but as you okay. and I have talked about, being back to hundred percent health doesn't mean you're back to hundred percent playing football shape. To your and, point, especially when you're a brand new player at a Correct. brand new place, and you've got the mental part. Yeah, exactly. Sure. I mean, and look, he's going to have plenty of opportunity to dive into the playbook and do all of those things, but you know, application on the field is a whole right. other conversation. The point is, it's going to take him a yes. little bit of time during the season. Right. 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 If we see him against Ohio State and those, t- you know, Marshall and, and Cincinnati and Cal, it means, A, his rehab went, was ahead of schedule, and, B, mm-hmm. he's even better than we think because he's forced himself on the field that quickly. Right. Exactly. I just – I think it's going to be tough for him to do that, number one, because he's coming back from an injury, number two, because the dudes that are there. You know, that's the other thing. And so I think a guy that that is going to make a charge in the in the fall, and we'll get more into this as we get summer, but Kane Barong. So the point being, you're going to have Kane who's hungry to get on the field, and, and he's going to be pushing in the fall. That means you've got to really establish yourself now if you're Kevin Bauman. And, and, and look, Kevin Bauman was, a, I believe, a consensus four-star recruit. And some people had him in the top 250. I think he was an Army All-American, right? Yeah, I mean, this, right. This is a good football player, right? He's just... He's been buried. People say, well, how does Brock Wright go to the NFL and do more than he did in college? I'm like, because he was sitting behind a bunch of other NFL dudes at Notre Dame. It's not like he was sitting behind a couple walk-ons and they just didn't like him. Right. He was sitting behind a third-round draft pick, you know, other second-round draft pick and Cole Komet. Alizé Mack was a seventh-round pick, but we all know Alizé Mack had better than seventh-round talent. He just had undrafted free agent not making a roster head. Mm-hmm. You know, an attitude, but the talent wise was day two, in my opinion. Right. If not, you know, you know, if not completely agree. Yeah. Right. No question. Yeah. So that was the whole thing about about Brock Wright and the fact that that he was just buried behind really good players. And right. the same thing is true of Kevin Bauman. So him not playing doesn't mean he can't play. He's been banged up a lot and he's been buried behind really good players. Right. So it's well, a great you're opportunity. Not buried this spring, man. Great opportunity yeah. in the spring. He's yeah. gonna get every opportunity in the world. With only three tight ends, and like you said, Michael Mayer, you don't want to give him yeah. a ton of reps. I mean, you're, he's going to get a normal workload. Yes. You don't, you don't want to overdo. You don't want to overdo right. it because of your lack of depth. So you're you're going to see, you know, for example, uh, Charlie Selna, right? He's a right. walk-on junior from California, right? He's six six and an eighth, two hundred fifty pounds. He's going to get a little bit of playing time, right? right? I mean, if they go with twelve personnel, he's automatically on the second team. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? So right. there's going to be some guys that are going to get some opportunities. And obviously, Kevin Bauman is one of those guys. Right. So, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. So yeah, we'll we'll definitely see how that plays out. It's gonna be it's gonna be intriguing to see. But you know, Mitchell Evans to me is the the guy that I'm really curious to see because I I have no clue what kind of growth he's gonna make it from year one to year two because he's sure. such an anomaly in that he really wasn't a tight end. He was a quarterback. He got playing time that we didn't expect him to get this year out of necessity. Right. His compete level was the thing that surprised me. To be honest with you, that was the thing I was most concerned about for a kid that played quarterback. Is this kid's not going to want to go out there and block, right? Like that's. I mean, I mean, think. Look, I played quarterback. I can assure you, if they would have been like, "Hey, we want you to go block on this play," I'm like, "Uh, no." You want me to get in the way? Like, yeah, like, you know, <laughs> cut block, like on a reverse. You know, like that. No, we want you to line up at tight end and go block a nine technique. Yeah. See, the thing is about that, coach. Um, that's yeah, not happening, right? <laughs> but for Mitchell, I mean, that's what it, I mean. That that's. Yeah, we're kind of being funny. He signed up to play tight end. He knew he's got to block. Of course, kind of being sarcastic. The point is, you don't do a lot of that when you're playing quarterback. <laughs> you know, Fast. And, and his willingness again, he was not strong enough. He didn't have the technique necessary. Right. right. And the technique necessary isn't a coaching thing. I mean, John McNulty. I, I, kudos to John McNulty for even getting that kid to be able to be a competent. Even player. look like Gosh. a tight end on the field. Yeah. Right. He was a quarterback. Right. Right. But he he just he didn't have the strength. He didn't have. The, the experience from a technical standpoint. Right. This is the kid who played out. a ton of high school football at tight end. That'd be a different story. But to 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 see him go out there and just to compete the way he did was uh, like, okay, this kid this kid wants to be something. Right. You know, this kid wants to be there. And and he made some plays in the blue gold game last year. I mean, he made a, he had a really nice four, diving fourth down catch. Remember that? I when do. Drew Kawhi yeah. got pressured and he hit that little quick cro- you know, right. crosser and the tight end laid out for it. That was, that was Mitchell Evans. Yeah. So I, 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 the kids look. I thought I was like when they signed. I was like, what? The, what are they doing? Why are they taking this kid? Right? Like, and we could still debate. There were some other tight ends in the class maybe they could have gone for. But I was like, what are they doing here? Like, why are you taking this kid? I, I'm going to be honest with you. And then you see his athleticism jump up a little bit as a senior, but you're still like, you know, tight end. You, you're taking that kid. Like, and Mitchell was like, okay, yeah, you keep talk. You keep talking, Driscoll. You keep running your <laughs> mouth. Right. I'm going to show you that I can play football. And that's right. what he did as a freshman. Right. And so um, I, I'm curious to see what he's going to do. Right. Because this isn't this the funny thing, like of all these highly ranked kids that Notre Dame has landed, the three star converted quarterback is the kid that that 
you know, could really step up and shine this spring behind Mayer. I know, right? I just think that's hilarious. I think it's awesome. I think it's yeah. awesome. It tells yeah. you about work ethic and everything else. Right. And I, I love it. And this it is- also tells you that you can find talented players of all sizes, shapes, sizes, and star rankings. Yes, no question right? about it. And this is a big offseason for him in the weight room and everything else to start to fill out that body. Right. That's right? going to be the key. Because he's the, try- the compete level and all that's fine and dandy. Right. But if you can't line up and block people, you're that, and that's the big key for Mitchell. I started to talk about that and then got distracted. You're absolutely right, Vince. Thanks for bringing me back. To what we're talking about if he can't prove himself to be a legitimate go get that job done as a blocker, he's not gonna be able to play this year. Exactly. He had to play last year. They had they, you know, he may play in like some 13 personnel and all that, but look, you've got Holden Stay showing up. You've got if I'm gonna err on the side of playing a guy who can't block, I'm gonna play the more dynamic young freshman. Sure. Right? Mitchell's gotta show. That he can block. It's the same thing we talk about with Kevin with Kevin Bauman. Blocking is going to get you on the field. Then your ability to catch the football will get present opportunities, but they're not going to put you on the field as a number two tight end just because you can run routes and catch the ball. Right. Well, they may put you on, but it's just, that's all you're going to do, which means way fewer reps. Right. So this is a big spring for both of them, and they're both going to get a ton of reps this yeah. spring. Yep. Yep. So, uh, just like we talk about a wide receiver, yeah, it, it, exactly. because of the depth chart, you're going to get a ton of reps, period. Yeah, exactly. So, Vince, let's transition to our final point here. We've got about, about 10 or 15 minutes to, to, to chat about this. And, you know, when I when I look at, you know, Coach Stan and his arrival at Notre Dame, and we think big picture what this means and how good this group could be, I get asked a lot, how good can this line be in year one? And you know, I start thinking, through, it's a it's a great question. Yeah. And, and, you know, look, I think a big jump, right? To me, they should be a top 10 to 12 offensive line this year. They should absolutely be that. The question of whether they can be a top three to four unit is going to depend on several things. Sure. Number one is you got to improve the guard play. Guard play's got to get a lot better. I mean, I think, I think Andrew Kristoffic solidified it last yeah. year. He wasn't a liability. He, right. But he wasn't. A, a a difference maker correct now he gets he's got the experience now he gets to work with coach Eastan, who initially recruited him you know does his game take that next level sure does josh can josh lug stay healthy and play guard i think if josh lug can be healthy he could really solidify the guard position but he's gonna have to battle you know rocco spindler and mike hopefully michael carmody i hope they move michael carmody into guard that's where he belongs you know, you're going to have once Billy Shrouth gets healthy. I mean, there's there's going to be some guys there. You got to solidify that. But at the end of the day, to be a great line, you need two things. Number one, you need a co- cohesive unit, mm-hmm. right? You can have five good players that play great together, and you're going to have a great line. To have a championship line, you need at least one star. And to me, obviously, Jarrett Patterson has a chance to be that. Sure. Right. Sure. But the that's guy why he came that, back, that's, correct. I mean, that's why he correct. came back. He has a chance to be that, you know, yes. all American first round pick. Right. But there's a guy on the roster in Blake Fisher who has a chance to be a, a dominant force. And the pairing of him and Harry Heastan is going to go one of two ways. Mm-hmm. And this isn't, this isn't a, a knock on Blake or on coach Heastan. It's a statement of reality of anytime you have a young star who, and then a new coach who didn't recruit him come on board, right? Because you came thinking one thing and you're getting another thing, right? And so to me, how well those two 
sort of pair together is going to ultimately be the difference between how good sure between this being a good off offensive line and an elite offensive line. Because the thing for coach he stand is let's start with the coach first, right? I think it always starts with the coach, right? He has to understand like, Hey, look, I'm not changing my stripes. When we get on that football field, I'm still going to be me, but maybe there are some things you can do leading up to that, that help you prepare them better for that. Sure. You know, we've talked, I mean, I would sit down and I would have a lot of hearts to heart with Blake and just let him know, like, man, I'm going to ride you harder than anyone we have. I would flat out tell him that I'm going to demand too. more of you than anyone else on this team. I'm going to be harder on you. I'm going to cuss you more. Yep. I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm never, I'm never going to accept what you're doing as good enough. And the reason I'm doing that son is because I think you have a chance to be an absolute star, one of the greatest that has ever come through this institution. Right. And that's saying a lot, just looking at the last 10 years, much less the last 70 years, right? I mean, when you think about what Notre Dame's had the last 10 years on the offensive line, Zach Martin, Chris Watt, Ronnie Stanley, Mike McGlinchey, Liam Eikenberg, Robert Hainsey, Aaron Banks, Jarrett Patterson. Oh, and by the way, what's that one dude's name? Oh, gosh. Yeah, Quentin Nelson. Yeah, right. exactly. Sam Mustafer, Alex Bars. I mean, the, the, the linemen that have come through here have been pretty darn good players. Yeah. You got a chance to be as good as any of them. But I need – but I'm going to – you know, like Q – it's like for, for him to do that with Q, that was fine. Q was a Jersey kid. If you've ever met his parents, you know that Q can take hard coaching. Right. And I mean that I love his parents. They are awesome people. But like you just meet them. They're no nonsense. It's like, hey man, go out there and get the work done. Right. I mean, you know, you know, you come home, complain about the coach. Hey, yo, go figure it out. You know what I mean? Like uh Q embraced that rough coaching. I don't but he also signed up for it. He knew he what he was getting recruited by him. Yeah, exactly. He got recruited by Harry Heastan. Right. Right. Blake didn't get recruited by Harry Heastan. And so for Coach Heastan, you gotta let Blake know, hey, buddy, I'm not changing. And and you shouldn't want me to change. Because how I because do it look is at the done, track record, right? Like look at where we're right. at here. But yeah, you got to exactly. prepare yourself, and and, and right. you know, in the past, we've heard about how the the veterans would let the younger players know, don't, don't. I think Coach Heastan needs to have that conversation sure. with Blake and and Rocco. It, and Rocco's it, different though, because again, Rocco comes from an NFL background. His dad sure. was an NFL yeah, player. Yeah, I'm not worried. About all him. comes from that. Like they're more prepared right. for that I, mentality. I would say that even this is. And I agree with you about the he stand part of it, like right. having that conversation. But I also feel like this is a, an area where Chris Watt can step in too. Yes. yes. Because he's been on the receiving end right. of he stands coaching. Right. right? right. And he's right. there as a resource. Right. Yeah. And so when I look at guys like Blake Fisher and I look at guys like, I'm trying to think of some other guys that, you know, because uh, Caleb Johnson, when I think of, you know, when I think of, of Michael Carmody, when I think of Tosh Baker, you know, a lot of these kids that were, were not recruited at all by Coach Stan. those are the guys that I'm most concerned with. Sure. Because like Zeke Carell and Andrew Kristoffic, they were initially recruited by Coach Stan, which meant, and the reason I say that's important is because they know the reputation he had. They right. visited campus when he was still the coach. They heard the stories about how Coach gets right. on you, right? right. The, and they still wanted to be at Notre Dame. So, so the reason I look at guys like, you know, Blake and, and Tosh and – you know, Car and Carmody, I guess I don't just knowing his background, he's a coach's kid, right? So I that's what I say, like former players and coaches kids, I usually don't get too worried about when it comes to hard coaching because they usually have gotten it already. 
it's the guys that haven't gotten that or and that weren't recruited by him that I get a little concerned about. And the reason that we're focusing on Blake is because of how good he can be. Mm-hmm. If you're Blake, that you're then is to say, hey, look, I have to go into this. You you Blake needs to know exactly what he's walking into. Right. And, and and it can't be like a culture shock where it's like, whoa, like he has to know before day one, dude, this is what you're talking to. So Chris Watt, like you said, Chris Watt needs to talk to him. Yes. Uh, and, and some of the former players, like I, I remember talking to former players last year that were getting ready for the draft. And they're like, this freshman kid, they didn't even know his name at the time because you know how linemen are. They just don't, they don't care about the summit. They're like, hey, this freshman kid, number 54, this kid's one of the most talented players. These are guys that played with Quentin Nelson. And Mike McGlinchey, right? And you know, and like, he's like one of the most talented players I've ever seen. And the thing about Blake that people don't, I think people see Blake, and they see a kid who's kind of got some baby fat on him, and he just kind of got a different body type. And I think that people are people think about like, oh, is he, is he going to take to hard coaching? I don't know if he, I don't. That's not really what we're saying here. I'm not worried about that. I, I mean, because. The, the reason I say that is the one thing that people said about Blake, the minute he showed up on campus, this kid works. Like that was, that was the concern coming in. Is he going to work? Cause you know, that, that 340 pound kid that just kind of can push bully people and doesn't really understand how, sure. you know, that those type of things. It's like, how's he going to work? Right. Does he understand how, but then you, then you hear about the, and he's like, this kid works as hard as anybody. And you're like, okay, cool. This kid gets it. Right. Right. So I, it's not, it's not that we're worried about, is he gonna is he gonna be mentally soft? It's not about him being soft. It's just that when you this sign up for what one he's thing up for. Exactly. and, and yes. something else is happening, it's right. like it's like, okay, this is it's a, a culture shock for me. It Look, is. It, it's a it's a flat out culture shock because Harry Heastand coaches completely different than Jeff Quinn. They're they're not the same guy, they don't do it the same way. And that's it. That you know, a lot of these guys signed up for 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 Jeff Quinn. And now they're getting Harry Heastan. Right. It's, it's you know, and you're in your what you're hoping for is that there's no buyer's remorse, right? right? I mean, you're hoping that okay, you roll with it. This is a new guy, and look, if they're if they have NFL aspirations, yeah, it could happen every year. You might get right. a new coach. I mean, that's just right. the way it is. So, but right. they're still younger, right? And and the reason that this is important more. is because you, the longer it takes Blake and Coach Heastan to kind of get on the same page the longer it's going to take for this line to reach its potential. And that's that's always true of a star. I mean, it would have been true if Harry, if Quentin Nelson didn't get along with Harry Heastan. Sure. And that's the point that people make. Like somebody, somebody's asked this question, are we suspecting Blake as being soft or sensitive? No. That again, that's not what we're talking about. It's At all. I it's like I'll give you an example. Okay. Like my wife tried super hard to be a, a great coach's wife. I mean, I'd have 15 kids over my house. I'm making $30,000 a year. That's it, right? She worked too. She would have to drive an hour and a half to Costco because we lived in freaking Defiance, Ohio, and the nearest Costco is an hour and a half away. She would do all this shopping, and she would make food on every Wednesday night for 15 kids, right? And she was – but it's, but it, it was harder on her because she didn't sign up for that. When she met me, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't coaching. I wasn't getting into coaching. And so, no matter how hard she tried, and she loved me, and she wanted, it was still hard on her, right? Because because like I didn't sign up for this. She never complained about it. This was me reading my wife, and sure. that was one of the reasons I got out of coaching, is because you know that that's not what my wife. My wife didn't sign up for me being gone for two months 
in a row, basically. Because when you're recruiting D3, you're home on the weekends, you have your staff meetings, and then you know Monday morning, you're right back onto the road and you're staying in hotels and you're gone. I mean, for months at a time, because it's not like these little two-week windows where you're flying around the country. D3, man, you're grinding from the end of the season till, till school starts. I mean, right. it's like you're on the road doing all that. And it's, it's kind of like it, when you didn't sign up for something, it can be harder to adapt to it. And that's what we're referring to. Exactly. Uh, it, it, you know, and, and that's, you know, that that's kind of where we're out. We're out at this point in time. So that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about Blake being soft or not, not being coachable all. because that's why we talked about how hard he was. A soft kid doesn't come in the day he shows up and work the way that Blake worked. A soft kid doesn't come in and have the success as a true freshman that Blake had up until the time he got injured. You know, no one questioned Blake Fisher's work ethic. The question is, is that's what Blake signed up for. This isn't what he signed up for. Right. I think he's going to take it because I think Blake is smart enough to realize whatever, however this guy coaches, it may not be my, you know, cup of tea, but it works. And look what he's done. And, I mean, I would argue that other than Quentin Nelson, I don't know if there's an offensive lineman that Notre Dame has had in the last 10 years that has Blake's God-given ability. Just pure God-given talent, right? Other guys might have been more – you know, Liam Eikenberg was more advanced technically coming out of high school, things like that. But, you know, Blake has elite size, an elite size athleticism power combination. Right. He can move. He's got positional flexibility, and and all those type of things are important. And so that's why this relationship is so important. It's because you can't get the most out of a kid if the kid doesn't embrace your coaching, right? And that's the key. And that's why this is so important because it's it's not about softness or anything like that. The other thing, too, is if a kid trusts you, he will do anything you ask him to do if that means – right tackle, left guard, right guard, left tackle, whatever the case may be, he'll be more willing to do that. We're not saying we're going to move Blake Fisher. It's just the point of you, you never know what the future might hold. Yeah, absolutely. I doubt Quentin Nelson signed up at Notre Dame thinking I'm going to be a left guard the rest of my career, right? Well, it worked out for him because he trusted Coach Eastan, right? Right, right. And Aaron Banks, same thing. Aaron Banks came to Notre Dame to play tackle. Jarrett Patterson came to Notre Dame to play tackle. But he trusted Jeff Quinn, and when Jeff Quinn said, "Hey, we're going to move you to center," he trusted him, and he made the move. Right? I mean, that's that's what we're referring to. So, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and everybody's so, everybody's freaking out, obviously, about the whole you know Fisher to guard and and why that's, we can that's move. a conversation that's, for a different day. A different, that's not what we're talking about right now. Right? Exactly. Yeah. That's what this I was is say. this is a bigger thing. So I think that is the ultimately when people ask because I had this question a lot: How good can this line be? How quickly can they adjust? It's going to depend on how quickly guys yep. take the coach he stand and how he, one of the things we've heard too, Vince is, and I know you got to run here soon, but we we've said this the other day. And I think it worth noting now is like one of the offensive linemen told uh, another parent that I know that every day they wake up and there's a text from coach. He stand with some sort of motivational quote. And it's like, it's, he's always done stuff like that. It's like, right. it's just, there's this false notion that people kind of tore him down to build up Jeff Quinn, which I freaking hate. But he's always been at – why do you think his players love him? Do you think it's just because Alex Bars loves Harry Heastan? Boy, got him ready. Alex Bars is an undrafted free agent. It's not like he turned him into a first-round draft pick. You know what I mean? And so uh, they love him because they know he cares and he's going to get the most out of them. And I think if Blake is open to it, if Tosh is open to it, if Kristoffic is open to it, 
if Rocco's open to it, if Joe Walt's open to it, you've got a chance. And just name all of them, Carmody, all of them, because there's talent there. Yeah. If they're open to taking that coaching, you're not going to ask a 60 year old man to change who he is. Okay. It's up to. I'm tired of people saying young. We all the grownups have to adapt to the children. No, the children need to adapt to the, the, the experience that grownups have had, right? Exactly. And so if they can blend those two things, this cha- this line has a chance to be very good in a hurry. I don't think this is a, well, 2022 is going to be a bit of a rebuild, but 2023 is your, no. When you've got Blake Fisher, Jarrett Patterson, Josh Lugg, uh, Joe Alt, Rocco Spindler, the freshman, Michael Carmody, Tosh Baker, and you've got a great line coach, there's no you need a year. Two. There's no you need a year. Three, really, because the, the other GA, if he comes back, is pretty is yeah. like good, so, really good reputation. The, yeah, exactly. There, this, you do it now. Right. You should have a really good line now. No, now we're, we're not going to be no. making a lot of excuses for the offensive no. line in 22. Beyond game three. I give them three games to okay. work out some kinks. Beyond game you three. You got a really hard one, and then you got two kind of yeah. layups, but like Beyond game three yeah. is when it's like, it's just like this year. Look, yeah. I'll give you a couple games to kind of right. work out the kinks, but then you got to get going. Right. And we do got Tommy Guns, uh, Leonidas' Spartan kick. Mitchell is one of those Ohio ballers. Never said Ohio wasn't good, man. You're the only one that said Virginia wasn't ballers. Okay. That's the only, that's kind of man. Remember, man. So anyway, that's it for today. Lots of going on. We'll be back tomorrow. Got some interesting things I want to talk about tomorrow. I'm lining up a couple special guests here for the next week. We're going to have some fun here moving forward. So um, hoping to have a former uh, Notre Dame great, supposedly going to join us here soon. A, a recent player and I are trying to figure out a schedule to record an interview to play during one of our shows. So, uh, really excited for what we got coming up. We'll be back tomorrow at 12. Well, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, yes. Ryan and I are going to break down film of of uh, Cooper Flanagan and Cedric Irvin Jr. Tomorrow, 1230, same bat time, same bat channel, right? We're going to have another show. And then Friday, of course, we'll have our mailbag. Before the mailbag on Friday, however, at noon, we are going to be live for Preston Zinter's decision. Mm. He's going to announce between Notre Dame and several other schools. We will carry that live and then have immediate analysis afterwards of whatever his decision was. We'll talk about it, what it means for Notre Dame, one way or the other. So cool. Um, <laughs> so we'll definitely have that show. So anyway, so for Vince D'Addario, I'm Brian Driscoll. Thank you all so much for being with us today. Make sure you check out irishbreakdown.com. Like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, share, buy some built bars, sign up for the message boards, and let's continue this conversation. And thank you so much for being a part of the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.